welcome to Employee of the Month. Here's your host, Katie Lazarus. Welcome to Employee of the Month. I'm your host, Katie Lazarus, and on this episode, I got to sit down with Baratunde Thurston, who was the digital editor at The Onion at the time, and also had recently released the New York Times bestseller, How to Be Black. It's all about being a Native American lesbian, obviously. And it was just a delight to interview him at UCB. So here's my interview with Mr. Baratunde Thurston. Baratunde Thurston is the digital editor for a small comedic publication. I'm going to do that again. Baratunde Thurston is the digital editor for The Onion. If you haven't heard about it, you should check out Google. And if you haven't heard about Google, you should find a psychiatrist in the area immediately. Um, He is also a phenomenal comedian as well as the co-editor of Jack and Jill, which is a great blog and web web site. I'm giving it the wrong name because anyways, he'll come out and explain everything and the fabulous author of How to Be Black. So please let's give a warm welcome to Mr. Baratunde Thurston. DJ Razzy Raz off the stage. This was such a fun bar mitzvah so far. Um, Baratunde, hey, you Katie. feel very relaxed on stage. I feel very relaxing stage. That's because you're often on stage. Do you like my socks? I can't see. Yes. They so, are fantastic. Thank you. Well done. I haven't grown old yet. Um, someone's not holding on to their youth desperately. <laughs> <laughs> this is instead of the sports car. Um, so... I have so much to to ask you about. You also grew up in D.C. Yes, I did. And you went to um, which school? Sidwell Friends. <sighs> I did. I, it's not that I didn't get in. I didn't apply. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> now you also have had a, a load of jobs. I would say. Uh, do you want to start off telling us about what you did in college? And you went to a very small school, which I'm hoping is going to um, someday be considered prestigious. We can pray. Um, yeah, I went to Harvard for I'm undergrad. sorry, you dropped something. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lose-lose situation! <laughs> if I play it, like, annoyingly coy, that's annoying. If I just tell yep. you, you, people get angry. When I'm you doing, say, like, I, I went to, to Yale, does that mean you guys are enemies? That means I cannot look I them in the you. eye. <laughs> they can't look at you each other. each other in football. <laughs> but the, the, yeah. the, um, I love, I love that because neither of you guys clearly played football. I wanted to play football in, uh, in high school. It's not that you didn't get in, you didn't apply. My mother wouldn't let me. And why was that? Because she, was, uh, she thought I'd get hurt. She thought it was too violent, and she was just worried about injuries, which actually, given all the history and the concussions and everything you hear about football, it's probably a good idea. It also seems like a logical conclusion. Like, I find it hysterical that that's coming out now, <laughs> that it might be possible that you might get a concussion <laughs> from football. Like, this is news. <laughs> that was... Uh... No, I thought, I thought I'd be really... I thought I'd be a great running back. Like, when I walk down the streets in New York, I still see it like a field. And, like, the people, they're just the enemy. Like, every other person is the enemy until proven otherwise. This is an interesting... Because I look at it as 
college. And I'm like, this is the closest thing I have to feeling a sense of community is living in New York. Because you'll always run into someone you know or someone will suddenly become your best friend without even you necessarily wanting them to be. That, no, but I guess maybe I think my sidewalk experience is colored too. Like the Onion offices were in Soho for such a long time on Broadway, which is a terrible place. I thought that was a plug for your book for a second. No, not at all. Okay. Not, it's, a, it's an anti-plug for tourism. Okay, I'm all for it. And like selling uh, $5 pashmina scars on the street. <laughs> I am going to plug your book because I love this book. Yeah. How to Be Black plug, plug is away. so funny and smart. It's Thank a you. part memoir, part discussion of what it's like to be the only black kid at the uh, cafeteria table, so to speak, in life. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and it is just hysterical. I, I have to say, I was, I was uh, quite delighted. And I, I did want to ask you, because my take on comedians, being a, a, fe a fellow comedian, that stand-ups weren't loved enough as children and improv comedians were perhaps loved too much. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> and you seem so well-adjusted. Yeah. What are you doing in stand-up? <laughs> um, so here's the thing. First of all, I think it's... Uh, I've been doing stand-up... Last week was my 10-year anniversary. And I... You sound like an alcoholic, but I congratulations. Think it's too, uh, <laughs> well, I think, it's, I think it's too simple. When people say like stand-up comics are miserable yes. or have ridiculously low self-esteem, etc., I think that's way too simple. Um, and, and that's true for many. Or just me. Or, or just Katie Lazarus. Yeah. But it's not true for all. And the thing is, I grew up in a very loving family. And my mother did a, a wonderful job. I had an older sister who's nine years older than me, and she sort of partially raised me because of that age gap. And, and I had a good neighborhood to a point, you know, and then it went toward the south. I should preface that we grew up in, in D.C. when our uh, mayor was very into his neti pot. Um, <laughs> and we had a curfew yeah. out probably because of him, but the rest of us were stuck. With, I mean, our, our basketball team was called the Bullets, which I think is very touche. <laughs> Um, but it was now the murder magical. capital yeah. of, the, of the country at that, at that but time. But I think my, what I benefited from was a mother who didn't set weird boundaries around me. Like, she very much encouraged me to pursue whatever I might have been interested in. And I was on stage a lot as a kid. I did this program called the DC Youth Orchestra Program, which took basically little poor black kids in DC and threw them into classical music. Uh, I did musicals and plays, and she would. she actually would see things in the newspaper for auditions and, like, say, do you want to do that? Do you want to try that? And she would kind of encourage me to just explore whatever I might be into. And then if I were into it, she would help me get to the, to the next step of it. She wasn't like, you have to be a doctor. You have to not do this or not do that. And I think that her openness was a big part of where I've ended up. And the comedy thing kind of started as an escape uh, from some very frustrating experiences. What were some of those experiences? Because... Uh, it's so interesting to hear about your childhood because yeah. you are part of an educated elite and you uh, grew up going to, to find schools, um, but you weren't wealthy. No, I mean, my family story is basically America to, to a large degree. My great-grandfather was born a slave and taught himself to read. My grandmother, I found out only recently, was one the first black employee at the U.S. Supreme Court. Yes. Which is dope. Like, my mother and her did not have a great relationship. They actually physically fought. You know, like, and I, I didn't witness this. My, my now oldest, we know why football was considered awful. <laughs> just getting up in the morning. But, you know, it's just funny. Enough. I just loved hearing Cambry's story. Just such a reminder that, like, all families are fucked up. Yes. You know, they all, like, no matter what it looks like from the outside, there's always something a little off. 
and how honest you are internally with it certainly has a big deal to do with like how you turn out. And my mother was very honest about a lot of these things with us. She didn't try to cover up and hide and pretend things weren't happening, and that helped me later. So in any case, my mom came out. She was a rebel, very politically active, very much in the streets. Uh, she never finished college. She had two years at uh, University of District of Columbia. She went to community college at Montgomery College. And my older sister was the first uh, of our whole line to get a degree from college. And then I was the first to get a degree from the same college I started at. Uh, and so that arc, you know, and growing up in D.C. in the 80s, my dad was killed in a drug deal when I was like six years old. Touche. Like there's, there's all kinds of drama. You know, it's all kinds of drama and weird, dark hilarity in all that. Yes, yeah. I'm so, only joking about yeah. it because he jokes about it in his book. And she's an asshole, <laughs> clearly. Yeah, uh, and let's be clear. <laughs> and let's be honest. I think we've established. I mean, I think it's point, pretty obvious. Kind of a dick. Obviously, I was jealous. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so I think my, like, I grew up listening, again, audio, big audio experience growing up. We used to take a lot of... Uh, economical vacations known as camping trips. Yeah, that was amazing how interested she was in, in camping. Just, again, that's from me growing up in D.C., and I, I don't think my parents know how to No, she, my down. mom was like a very strange person, and she, she was really amazing. into like co-ops and health food and rice cakes and meditation and Buddhism and... Carob. Carob-covered donuts, which is bullshit. <laughs> that should just stop happening. It's bad for the world. Uh, certainly bad for me. <laughs> as a little kid that wanted something normal. It's fiber. So, um, you know, she, we would take these road trips and listen to a lot of books on tape and listen to a lot of audio, listen to Bill Cosby and Whoopi Goldberg, uh, Rev Fox oh, and, yes. and uh, Richard Pryor, but also Garrison Keillor and like really old school radio shows, uh, Lumen Abner and, and stuff from like the, they still replay a lot of these old time 1950s radio dramas, Lone Rangers. I would grow up listening to all this weird stuff. And then when I went to Sidwell, it was a big leap. Uh, seventh grade is when I showed up there. Had a tough adjustment the first year, I think, mm -hmm. culturally. And then, you know, really got into it. But toward the later end, there was all kinds of political drama, you know, in the school. And I think every high schooler, you know, feels like it's like yes. you against the administration. They don't understand me. But these guys really didn't understand. They were kind of assholes. And, uh, and there's some people in the audience. Not who related to, to me. <laughs> no, no, different type, different, a whole different asshole whole family. Different. It's, you can be assholic in different ways. Yes, yes. In any case, there's there was one some, thing you take away tonight. <laughs> there was some really frustrating uh, political experiences with race and with people getting expelled and all kinds of drama. And at the same time, the internet had come to our campus. We had really early access to full-time internet. One of the parents worked for like a, an internet infrastructure company that like sat on the backbone. So I was online since 93, and in those days the web was, uh, was very flat. You know, like there were, it was all text, there were no pictures, right. you know what I'm saying? It looked like DOS, the whole thing. And then you had- I just love that you were like, I was on the web since 93. Like that must be a pickup line. <laughs> Do you know who I Works am? very well at Comic-Con, <laughs> very well. So, um, but no, there were like science papers and jokes. There were just piles and piles right. of jokes. And there were these, there was this weird thing. I still haven't seen anyone write a history of this. And I don't know if you can even still find them, but there were these canonical lists of jokes. Yes. And they'd be real dark. They'd be like, 50 ways to kill a baby. And you're like, that's disgusting, that's but terrible. oddly hilarious. Like, 30 things to do to ruin a uh, final exam. Uh, 30 things to do during your driving test. 100 ways to annoy your roommate. And so I just started kind of curating this stuff and emailing it out on this email list that got pretty popular. And then in, in college, I started writing my own 
stuff, which is a very satirical take on the news, which is you know appropriate. And for you wrote I, for the Crimson, which is a very yeah, and that was a serious a take, legitimate job to be having a, a you know a seven day a week newspaper in college. Much. It's the closest thing I could get to like a daily newspaper job. It was a college daily newspaper. Yeah. Now it makes perfect sense then that you would become the digital editor at the Onion, but I have no idea what that is. <laughs> what is the digital it's editor working. at the Onion? And I want to say that I I, spoke, I have maintained that job by obscuring those facts. Well, I spoke to one of your colleagues today, and I said that you're going to be on the show. And he said, I don't know what he does, but that guy is a genius. He doubled our traffic. And I mean, they were, he was so happy and so nice. effusive about, about you. And I, and I want to know, what does that mean to be a digital editor at The Onion? Yeah. What did um, you do to double their traffic? <laughs> bribed a lot of people. Okay. So I, I joined in 07, November of 07. Oh, I thought that was real. No, sorry. Keep going. No, I, um, I, I joined as politics editor. I, I applied to be the... Politics editor, run war for the White House, the 2008 coverage of the campaign, and figure out how we're going to do that and, and write some stuff. And, and in the interview process, they said, oh, you know a lot about the internet. Can you also be web editor? And so I took two jobs for a very low price. And, uh, and now the title is director of digital. Okay. Because it sounds loftier. I just made it up myself. But here, here's what it... It sounds very lofty to me. Here's what it has meant, which is uh, overall, you know, what they didn't have before I'd gotten there was uh, a bridge. They had... A bunch of tech people, yes. and developers, and really talented folks who understood that, and had really, really great writers and things, and people who understood that. Yes. Then they had somebody who could like talk both languages. So at first and foremost, I was kind of a translator, someone who could really play both sides of that. And looking at the way we tell stories, looking at the way we, calling it producing content is really sort of undermining of the magic of what storytelling Absolutely. is and what stories are. Like in, in creating stories, you're building a world and you're convincing other people to buy into it. And that's magic, and that's fun, and that's beautiful. And whether you're doing it satirically through The Onion or on stage as a comic or through a, a novel, it doesn't matter. So my job as director of digital is basically how do we adapt the way we tell stories to all these new digital platforms? Well, and now right. the newspaper is almost essentially digital. Yeah, I mean, certainly the, the audience for, for The Onion and, and most you know, printed news products is heavily favored toward online. And that's been the case. The Onion was one of the early papers to go online. But here's some, I'm still talking vaguely. Here's some examples. So we live tweeted the 2008 election. And I heard was, about that election, by the way. <laughs> but, you know, so that use of Twitter at the time was not done. Like everybody live tweets everything now, hashtag Oscars, all that kind of stuff. But we were among the first to do it. And there was this hashtag called Twitter Vote Report. Okay. Where all these um, like election rights advocates were trying to basically figure out how long is the line at your voting you know, area, is there any fraud going on? And so people were legitimately reporting problems at their voting booths. Oh, the fascinating. Okay. So we basically hijacked that and threw out satirical content with the same hashtag. But that's nice. So people are really trying to yeah. vote. They can't vote. And instead of helping them with that problem, you guys are making job. fun it's of them. It's not my job. I'm building a world here. I thought. I just want to make sure there's clear. enough. <laughs> so so that's, that's one example. Or, you know, the ability to roll you know, out a story. We, we did a story about uh, Osama bin Laden returning from his uh, seaside burial as a 500-foot Japanese monster version of himself. <laughs> and, and so we had the hashtag 500-foot Bin Laden. We had uh, great photojournalism. We lost a lot of photographers trying to get those shots. <laughs> and you know, using that, we also solicited 
feedback and input from people. Like, have you seen 500 Foot Bin Laden? Please tell us if any of your friends or family have been maimed. Please send us pictures. Did you get responses without yeah, irony? Yeah, so the yeah, best yeah. response that I remember is someone put took the art that we had and put Bin Laden in the Boston Harbor and said, now he's in Boston, oh my God. But that does make sense. And they played along you know, with the thing. We had the story about the abortion plex and how Planned Parenthood was building this $8 billion abortion plex <laughs> in response to... You know, all the kerfuffle. Where you could do your shopping and get an abortion. Yeah, and, and so, so we wrote about this. We talked all these details, but the magic was one of our you know, reader community member people created the venue on Yelp for the abortion plex using all the cues and, of the world that we had constructed. Amazing. There are over 300 reviews of the abortion plex on Yelp now. <laughs> and they're amazing. Like, people are really into it. They're talking about the martini bar. They're talking about the DJ. They're talking about the stairs and the discount on triplets. Like, it's amazing. <laughs> discount on triplets is fabulous. And then from this job, you then also became friends with the president of Uzbekistan or Kazakhstan? The Republic of Georgia. I Let's apologize. get it straight now. Come I on. apologize. Come on now, Katie. So I, well, I apologize. I, I should have <laughs> checked my source. The same source who was congratulating you yeah. on, on your job at The Onion also said, I think he's best friends with, like, the king of Uzbekistan. <laughs> so yeah, I have. Look, I should have checked. It's not his fault. I have a crazy, weird, hard to define, but ultimately uh, incredible life. And I've been, you know, the Onion thing has been great. The stand-up stuff has been great. Being able to do politics, comedy, tech, and like merge all that. Though. I saw you at Tribeca Film Festival yeah. being the keynote speaker on yeah. on Monday uh, at their d- digital storytelling. Then on. Last night, I see you on, you're doing an NPR show where you're the surprise guest. You do seem to have a phenomenal life, but I do want to hear about Georgia. So Georgia, uh, the Republic of Georgia sits uh, at the intersection of cultures and continents. It's like just north of Iran, south of Russia, west of China, east of Turkey. You can just say north of pain. <laughs> But they're South at, of fascism. It's, yeah. it's a very dramatic situation over there. And, and like a lot of stories in life, I ended up there because I met some dude. You know, through a no, friend. No, I don't know. But yeah, that's, keep going. That's, but uh, so one of my, I'm <laughs> trying to figure out the way. Someone from Georgia. I, I had been, you know, I've been giving these, I give a lot of talks. I do a lot of public speaking about innovation, about comedy and, and its role in freedom uh, and about digital storytelling and sort of the future of everything. So there's a guy who lives in uh, Paris. Uh, your friend may have visited him yes, that weekend. Yes, Jill, yes. And he runs, a, he runs a PR firm that has governments and NGOs, nonprofits as the clients. Wow. So Georgia is one of his clients. And generally what that means for people like that is they bring boring ass people <laughs> to the government. You know, they bring former minister of finance from whatever country. They bring the former CEO of blah, blah, blah. And he was, you know, th- there are valuable things in that. I'm not trying to diss those people completely, but he wanted to do something different. He wanted to bring younger people, he wanted to bring people who understood like the digital economy. So he, he met a friend of mine and he said, I want to take some younger, more interesting, cool people to Georgia. Can you help me find some other folks? And she put me on and said, you should bring Baratunde. You should bring this woman, Hillary uh, Mason, who works for this company, Bitly. She's their chief scientist. Brought all kinds of so weird. So what did you do when, when they brought you there? So did they pay for the flight? Was it yeah, first class? Yeah, they did. So we, the people who actually paid for it was the National Security Council of the Republic of Georgia. I'm so glad their money is going to this. Yeah, so... What they were going for were two things. I mean, their interest was, hey, we can get people excited about Georgia. It was public diplomacy. It was PR. 
basically it was a publicity campaign. Let's get some young people who have reach. You know, I tweet hard. Mm-hmm. I'm blogging. And that sounds, <laughs> you, so the, you push the buttons down much more firmly. And extreme that's you violence. Get like extreme prejudice. <laughs> and so, you know, you, you, they, they bring you over. They want to show you their country. And then our side of the deal is like, we're going to, you know, talk to you about wh- how you can, in theory, create a more relevant economy. It's a new okay. country. They, they're just, they've revolted. They, they got free. They have ads in the New York Times, actually. Yeah, they're, and they're trying to entice tourism. They're trying to build up. They're kind of trying to be more entrepreneurial, for example. So all their kids who are graduating from college lean toward working for big companies and big business. They don't have a big entrepreneurial culture over there. So they thought, can we bring some young entrepreneurial type people who live in a digital economy to help us figure out how we might get closer to it? Also... I went uh, nightclubbing with the president of Georgia. And uh, for real, like, this is the most absurd. I have a lot of absurd tweets in my life because it's just, it's, it's not normal. And my life is not normal, it's ridiculous. But I was on the Black Sea at a club called Sublime. And, and the thing is, this is worth it. This is worth it. So we're supposed to leave the country. And this is, this doesn't, this is not common, but it's so ridiculous. I have to share it with you. Uh, the, we, they decided to take us to this town called Batumi which is on the Black Sea. It's like their attempt at a resort. I could pretend thing. like I know. I have no idea. And yeah. the way we get there is they fly us with the president on his version of Air Force One. So we're already, that's crazy. Like, I only asked, like, did you get the flight paid for? And yeah, no, like, they, well, they, they went we all out. They went all out. And like, so you're on a plane. It's five of you and like 10 guys with M4 submachine guns with like close crop hair, leather jackets. Like they, they can kill you by looking at you a certain way. Nice. So we get off the plane. They have all these SUVs lined up. We jump in. I end up in an SUV with the president, which is, again, madness. And we're driving and we're driving and we're driving. We're like, we haven't stopped. We're in a fucking motorcade. Like I've never been inside oh, wow. a motorcade. Yeah, none of us have. It's a weird, <laughs> like you don't, it's not normal. <laughs> but you realize something's weird when you're in a car that never stops ever. And you're going through cities, and you start looking out the window, you realize there's cops at every intersection, and there's little blue lights going. And we stop at one point, and the doors fly open, and his Secret Service people are like, out! And I thought we were under attack or something, but that's just, that's how they do things. You don't sit still because you're a target. I'm like, oh shit, I'm in the bubble. I'm in a crazy presidential security bubble. So we get out, and uh, he's like, we go to nightclub now. <laughs> like you are my kind of president, so you might be cooler than Obama now. So yes. we get out, and we just like I have been in. Uh, I used to be a bouncer at a club, so I, in Boston nice. I worked a year as a bouncer. And there are ways to get into clubs and not wait in line. Like I'm one of the, I'm waiting. I don't line. think he needs that. You when you roll with the president of a yeah. nation to a nightclub, <laughs> that's some extra shit right there. Like, <laughs> they just make way, no pat, no nothing. Bottle service and VIP. They're playing Biggie in the nightclub. <laughs> so I'm fucking on the Black Sea with the president of the Georgia rocking Biggie. Unbelievable. It's, it was the craziest moment of my life. I am going. We, can we have you back on the show so we can talk? Yeah, because I didn't even know that was going to be what I ended up talking about. But yeah, yeah but so it was how to great. be black. Also, you should buy the book. It's great. <laughs> how to be black? I'm going to again with your permission. Will you autograph copies? Yeah, and I brought some more if people want to okay, you know, engage in commerce. But I'm happy to sign you. Fabulous. Yeah. Um, Baratunde, this has been wonderful Thank to have you. you on. Thank you so, so much. Please give a warm welcome to Baratunde Thurston. You can dance with my mom. That's it for this episode of Employee of the Month. I'm your host, Katie Lazarus. Thank you so much for tuning in. You can go to employeeofthemonthshow.com and 
and that will take you to SoundCloud where you can download individual episodes or you can subscribe to the entire series for free on iTunes. Highly recommended. I want to give a very special thanks to Todd Rosenberg, Ian Mazoff, Damien Strange, and UCB Theater for making this possible, and most especially to you listening. I really, really appreciate it. Um, that's it. Thanks so much. Okay, have a wonderful day. Eat lots of vegetables and make sure to get some exercise for both of us. Okay.